This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Sound Bites right here on the Mark Steiner Show, your source for cool jazz and more. That'd be EAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. Sound Bites is our weekly look here on the Mark Steiner Show on food, the environment, and our future. Throughout the coming year, we're going to sharpen our focus to do some in-depth coverage on a few main themes. They'll include food hubs and policy councils that are changing the food movement, conversations about industrial and sustainable agriculture, bringing diverse communities together in conversation about food in our environment, urban farming, and how African-American farmers are leading to systemic change. Today on Soundbites, we're going to look at least two of these, urban farming and black farmers. We're talking to participants to a new project here in Baltimore called the Black Church Food Security Network. Their aim is to bring together black churches and black farmers to provide their communities with healthy, nutritious food. We know you're going to enjoy this conversation. We want you to let us know what you think. Send us an email to talk at steinershow.org. There was an article written in Huffington Post, which caught our eye because we knew most of the people in it who we have worked with over the years around food issues here in Baltimore. Uh, It was called How Black Churches Are Helping Their Communities Get Access to Healthy Food and covered what was being done here in our own city of Baltimore from where we broadcast. And one of the men featured in that is a person who's been on the show many, many, many times on many issues, but has been working on this issue. Uh, And that's the Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, who is pastor of the Pleasant Hope Baptist Church and executive director of Orita's Cross Freedom School, uh, and joins us here in studio where the article kind of pulled out of his work a bit and the others as well. Good to see you once again. Thanks so much, Mark. And uh, Reverend Daryl Harris is with us, who's project officer of the Baltimore Food and Faith Project at the Hopkins Center for a Livable Future. And, of course, Daryl Harris is who we've been partnering with for our Food and Faith series or Good Food Gatherings we do at churches, synagogues, and uh, around the city uh, and mosques as well. Good to have you here in the studio, Daryl. Thanks. Good to be here. And joining us is another member of this group that is putting this together in Baltimore, Bishop J.L. Carter, who is from the Ark Church in Baltimore. And Bishop Carter, good to have you in the studio. Glad to be here, Mark. Thanks for the invitation. This is great. Uh, so this is exciting because I remember that we've had this. We had one of our good food gatherings at your church, right? Right. Right. Here and and uh, um, and at that time, one of the things you said, and you and you said this so eloquently with everybody, with the with the audience who was there in the church, that. You said the one economic resource the black community does have is church. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and we have to feed people. This is where we have to start. Absolutely. I mean, I just felt like, and of course I'm biased as a pastor and as a third-generation <laughs> Baptist preacher, I'm biased about the beauty of the black church and for all of its, uh, for all the ways that we're yet growing as, as a larger church community, for all the criticisms that you know, are uh, uh, still throwing our way. The black church does a phenomenal job in both public and private ways of meeting the needs of people. And historically, that's been the case as well, that historically the church has been there not only for the black church has been there for the black community, not only in direct service, uh, but also in advocacy. Many of, as, as you know, your listeners will well know, Mark, that many of the names that we know is for in terms of leaders in the civil rights uh, era leaders in uh, the social justice movements around the world, uh, in this country in particular, the black church has been the bosom that has nursed them to development and, fullment and, so, and fulfillment. So it only makes sense, uh, I think, to add the church in the conversation of addressing the issue of food insecurity. And I think this is a phenomenal 
uh, exciting new partnership that I'm just so elated to be a part of uh, in connecting black churches with black farmers, uh, particularly those churches that are in uh, uh, food deserts, uh, like uh, uh, Bishop Carter's Church, the Ark Church, is in a food desert here in the city. But we bring the farmers and the churches together and provide fresh produce right there uh, at the church. Um, and you do a couple of things. You support black farmers who oftentimes are, you know, stretching and trying to get resources mm-hmm. to continue their work. Mm-hmm. You support the churches. You're bringing more people to the church to connect with the various ministries there. And you're supporting the community and the neighboring residents as yeah. well who now can see the church uh, as a place that they can come to to get fresh produce as well. So, Daryl, let me go back to the beginning before we turn to Bishop Carter. Sure. Just, just, to, just because, I mean— was the first time you two met was when we did the food gathering? Was that you had known each other before this? <laughs> no, we <clears throat> actually um, we went to school together. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right, right, here that's right, right here at Morgan. Right here at Morgan. That's right. Right here at Morgan. That's right. That's right. That's right. So um, very early on, when I first started at, at Baltimore Food and Faith, um, um, my predecessor Angela had a relationship with Heber, and um, and they and, and their church had partnered with us, and we were um, partnering to to help with their. Um, their garden that they have on their church property. So I went to just go by and introduce myself to all the existing congregations that we had existing partnerships with. And I go there, and I see Heber. And I said, hmm, <laughs> this guy looks familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so we started talking, and we realized, they said, yeah, we, I, we went to Mor- you went to Morgan, right? And he said, yeah. So we started talking. So then from that, we, just, we, talk, we talked more and more and more and more, and a lot of things, a lot of beautiful things have come from um, those conversations and, and the relationship. So and so, and then what is the genesis of this particular issue? And how did you, well, a minute before I do that, Bishop Carter, how, tell me your relationship to all this. Well, the relationship to all of this is that we have the property. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there is that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's, <laughs> that's the relationship, and and we. <laughs> And we've had this, um, our, our church, well, I'm 28 years at the church. And where is the Ark Church? 1263 East North Avenue, okay. which is one block below the courthouse between Harford and Asquith yes, Street right, right there. Right, right. Um, 28 years ago, going to the church, um, just had this vision of trying to have impact in the community. And, and it was clear to me that the best way to have impact is to have dominion. You've got to own something. You've got to be able to control something. And so in those days, our vision was to purchase available property within one mile radius of the church. And we, we were able to do that, which allowed us to acquire the piece of parcel that we have now. Um, at, that, at that time, was not really clear on how we would develop it. We knew that it would be a valuable piece of property for us to have for years to come. And um, our church, we do need a brand new church. We do need a a larger facility because um, we've outgrown our present facility. But at the same time, you've got to juggle that with finances and trying to have the resources to do the church. And so in the interim, you want to make the property work. And that's how we've come into this relationship, um, uh, considering that our city considering that particular community, which is the Oliver Barclay community, is a food desert. And um, by definition, there are no fresh food outlets and distributions where persons can um, retrieve and go to. And at the same time, it's densely populated, densely populated with senior citizens, 
with um, children and um, persons who are really persons who really want better um, in terms of their food choices. Um, it's so much of a food desert in that it's been documented that many of the elementary children, um, many of them are not even used to using a fork or a knife or utensils. They're eating with their hands, and that's from the fast really? food. That's from the fast food. The fast food? The fast food piece. Oh, well, that's, can we stop for a second? That, that, mm-hmm. that just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I've never, I mean, I've thought about food deserts and people not having access to healthy food, what that means for people. But would you just said, Bishop, wait a minute, that children have to learn how to use utensils because their life is built around chicken boxes and fast food. Absolutely. Wow. And McDonald's and those kinds of wow. things. Yeah. That's real. That's mind-boggling to and me. And that's one of those facts that people overlook. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't become a reality. And so this relationship is just fantastic because we get a chance to address it. Um, we get a chance to introduce them to foods that they're not even used to eating. And to do that, you have to also show them how to prepare it as well. Wow. So uh, let's talk for a moment. Before I, there's a bunch of things to get through here, and I, but I want to so talk about the farm itself. Okay. That, that, that will be the pinnacle here. We'll get to that in a moment. Cool. But uh, about just the notion of food deserts. I mean, the article in the Huffington Post that featured the work that, that you all are doing, um, that is work I knew was going on because we've covered it so much here on Soundbites and in the churches themselves, the, the, the extent of food deserts and, the, and, and, and what – and, and, and what the effect that that has on human lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really not completely understood. And mm-hmm. we can take it in any number of ways. I mean, I think there's no mistake in some ways, the Reverend Hubert Brown, that when the uprising happened after Frederick Gray was died in the hands of the police, that it happened in the midst of a food desert. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. Mm-hmm. You know what? That, I don't think that's no coincidence at all. I mean, I think that if people were to take the map of the food deserts in Baltimore and overlap that with the map of the homicides in Baltimore, overlap that with the map of high unemployment in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. What you'll find is that many of these same neighborhoods that are food deserts are also job deserts. They're also uh, high-quality school deserts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also mm-hmm. hope deserts. That's I right. mean, a desert is a desert. Health deserts. Yeah, health deserts. Uh, right. uh, right. You know, mm-hmm. and so... You know, these these mm-hmm. we, we sometimes want to think about our society in these uh, disparate and uh, disconnected pieces and parts. The reality is that so much of this runs together. Absolutely. And to address one issue, um, you have to at least be knowledgeable about the ways in which it connects with other issues, too. Mm-hmm. But you're exactly right that, you know, uprising North Avenue, Pennsylvania Avenue, North Atlanta, you know, up and down the North Avenue corridor where everything was, was going on. Um, you can look around um, and see the challenges uh, all around you. And so, you know, I was quoted in the paper shortly after the height of the uprising and telling people, I'm, it's, it said, Reverend Heber Brown fights against a return to normal. You are absolutely right, I am. <laughs> <laughs> because normal prior to Freddie Gray right. was unacceptable, was inhumane, was mm-hmm. cruel, was mm-hmm. unjust. Mm-hmm. And so we cannot go back to a normal. Go to we got to we got to create a new normal mm-hmm. in the city of Baltimore, and I'm just thankful that this is just one effort mm-hmm. of many that's going on in the city. Right the now. frustration too is that as as we describe the food deserts, the health deserts, the um, all the other deficiencies that we find in our community. My frustration is that there's some neighborhoods where that does not exist. 
less than a couple miles away from what we right. have described as food deserts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for us not to have a consciousness about that is just totally frustrating. And I get a chance to see these persons every day because I'm in the community. I live in the community. I work in the community. And I know better can be had. I mean, when you said that, two things struck me. One was that what both of you just said, but what you just said, Bishop, was that if you go north Mm -hmm. on Hartford Road, not so far north, Mm -hmm. it's anything but a food desert. Absolutely. Right? Right? I mean, it's almost Mm -hmm. flooded with Mm -hmm. local food. Absolutely. Supermarkets. Supermarkets. Restaurants. restaurants. (laughs) Just 10 blocks north, whatever that number is. Absolutely. It's not that far. Not that far. And if you go south... Oh God! You're just proliferated with. Just, uh, actually, it's another world. Take a ride down Broadway. <laughs> it's another world. Take a ride down Broadway. That's right. It's yeah, another world. Right, yeah. It's another world. Yeah. And that's frustrating. That's frustrating. I went to South Africa a while back, and the thing that bothered me the most was that the people who lived well had to ride past the people who were um, in poverty and people who had nothing, and to ride past that speaks to a a seared consciousness that we really don't even care anymore. And we cannot allow that to happen. No, absolutely. And I, I just think, can't allow that to happen. And what you said when you said about normal, um, Reverend Heber Brown, when you said that, I, I was thinking about how some people from the city government, when they went to do a study on sustainability in this community mm-hmm. in Baltimore, mm-hmm. they went to neighborhoods in, in, in poor working-class black neighborhoods and talked about the, the need for sustainability. And the response was what you just said. From the people themselves, though, yeah. the response was sus- sustainability. Sustain this? You want to sustain this? <laughs> we don't want to sustain this. No, we don't want right? to sustain that. Exactly right. That's exactly right. That's right. Definitions, depending on where you're coming from, That's right. how you define a particular term and idea. Yeah, That's it makes right. all the difference in the world. That's right. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that frustration that, that Bishop talks about was also a part of, and, and Dario mentioned it a little bit, about our church at Pleasant Hope. We launched Maxine's Garden going on five years ago now. And it's just a couple of, of, of front front yards, so, you know, normal, traditional front yards in Baltimore. We put them together, and Maxine's Garden now produces four to 500 pounds of produce every season, right? But wow. it came from being frustrated because our church is not far from another market where there's mm-hmm. fresh food available. Mm-hmm. Belvedere Square, just Belvedere down the block. Square mm-hmm. is just down the block. You know mm-hmm. where it is. And so uh, I'm making multiple visits at a hospital to visit our members. Mm-hmm who are in the hospital, many of them because of diet-related issues. And I come back to my church, and there's fresh food right there. But we were priced out of the market. My Mm -hmm. folk cannot afford Mm -hmm. to make that a regular part. Mm -hmm. I got so mad, I said, well, we're going to start our own garden. And I think that frustration also is, is, there's hope, but it's also that part of frustration also is a part of this, the launching of the Black Church Food Security Network. It is recognizing that... um, there are some and there are too many in the city of Baltimore who are numb to the disparity of those who have and those who have not. And that numbness um, feeds the frustration that says we got to do something um, um, and we're in a position to do something for for ourselves. And so uh, harking back to um, people like Vernon Johns. Uh, who was one of the mentors of Dr. King That's and right. the fathers of the civil rights movement, he would preach and then he would sell produce out front the church <laughs> at the <laughs> service and his, of what they call high cotton congregation, uh, they got upset with their pastor for mm-hmm. selling watermelons after mm-hmm. he preached uh, his mm-hmm. sermons. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but he recognized uh, that there was a resource in the church that was not being fully experienced. Mm -hmm. And so uh, um, his example and so many others helped to inspire the launch of the Black Church Food Security Network because even in impoverished, poor black neighborhoods in Baltimore, if you have nothing else, you've got liquor stores and churches. If you have nothing else, there's a liquor store in the church. Now, I don't know we, what we can do with the liquor stores, but with the churches, <laughs> we can connect them with the farmers and the resources and support they need to help continue being the transformative agents that uh, we rely on them to be. So this is, since you raised it, this is a good point to really kind of jump into the Black Church Food Security Network and exactly what it is. I mean, mm -hmm. what it's supposed to be doing. And let's talk about its launch and what the dream is. Absolutely. Who wants to grab that? First? Well, let me just start yeah. by yeah. saying, and I can piggyback on what yeah, you I'll said. Yeah, I'll jump in now. It's, <laughs> um, it's really a natural <laughs> flow for the church to be the core and the nucleus and the center of that. Because actually, I'm, I'm a few years older than you. <laughs> it's a return back to what we used to do mm -hmm. in the South, which is really the migration and the mentality and the culture of most of our churches over the past 20 years is, is a Southern mentality, meaning that the migration was from the South to the North. Um, in the South, there was no food deserts. The people grew everything that was needed, mm -hmm. even to the point that um, the preacher was compensated yeah. on what was yielded on the harvest because they had no money to pay the preacher, but they made sure he had good food to eat and healthy food. Mm -hmm. Well, those same children, grandchildren are now in the city now. And that and, and, and really that, that experience still lives on in terms of how to work the land, in terms of how to harvest and plant. So I, I just love it because it's really what we've been doing. Yeah. We're just now getting back to that. Um, rather than we we were never dependent upon supermarkets, mm -hmm. <laughs> we were never dependent upon processed food mm -hmm. because everything was raised on the land, and so we're just excited about this. He, uh, Pastor Brown, taking it to the level where it can connect both the past and the present to where we're able to produce something that works for us. Mm -hmm. So this is in some ways what you're talking about: the the the, the, the Black Church Food Security Network. Is taken from the past and redefining it for the redefining it for the twenty first century. That's right. right. That's right. exactly That's right. What it is right. using is. using twenty first century methods. Yeah. Because you know, like, because even my grandfather was a fruit vendor. Mm -hmm. That was that was his business. And my 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 mother and and my aunts and uncles grew up on farms, mm -hmm. but they didn't have hoop houses. Mm -mm. And they and um, but they but they farmed. So now you you take there's a new generation of farmers, younger farmers, who have, are using hoop houses that are using organic methods and all these other um, new technologies that are that are great and that are that are increasing yield and, and, and controlling pests and so forth. And now we're taking those um, those persons and connecting them with people of my mother's generation and um, and supplying them what they've always wanted, what they grew up on. So um, even even at, at our church, many of the people um, that were buying the produce were were, were elders mm -hmm. um, and people that they saw it, they recognized it. And they were happy that they were happy that they were receiving vegetables. They were happy that it was available, and they said, "Ooh, I want to cook this." And some of them even had questions. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure how to how to cook this. I'm not sure um, how to flavor this. And then the people were there to say, "Hey, um, you flavor it this way. You flavor it that way." But the elders who um, who grew up in the South and had that knowledge, they had a thirst for it, That's right. for what was familiar and even what was unfamiliar, as long as it was um, 
in the paradigm of what they knew, which is vegetables. Mm-hmm. Or edible. Yeah, edible. Yeah. <laughs> edible. I mean, that's, that's amazing. They could take stuff that didn't look edible and make it edible. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even dandelions. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm telling you. I'm so telling the you. young farmers that, you know, that Dario just referenced, uh, we're so thankful for our, the partnership that we have with Black Dirt Farm. Uh, Aaliyah Frazier and Blaine, who are growing on the uh, ancestral land of Harriet Tubman on the eastern shore. Right. And so right now they are our main providers, food providers and partners. And for the past couple of weeks now, uh, they have uh, brought trucked food over from the eastern shore, brought it to North Avenue. Our church has one of the most dynamic midweek services you'll ever want to attend. Uh, Wonderful preaching, music and all. So... The service goes on. It's a wonderful service. And then right after the worship, the produce is available right there uh, in one of the side rooms of the church. For the past two weeks now, we've had that awesome experience. And so our the big vision, Mark, is to partner with other churches, mm-hmm. particularly those who are in food deserts. Mm-hmm. And the vision is to partner and pair these churches with farmers so farmers can uh, pipeline their food right to the sanctuaries, right to the churches, uh, that are in communities that desperately need it. Here's something that made me almost do a backflip the first time we did this service at the Art Church. The farmers, Aaliyah and Blaine from Black Dirt, Black Dirt Farm, after we had the service and they sold the produce, we had a conversation. I said, well, how did things go for you um, economically? She said, Pastor Brown, she said, in 15 minutes, um, we made 15, 20 minutes, we made what we normally make in two hours at a farmer's market in about 15, 20 minutes at this church. And so to the farmer's benefit, uh, we're bringing a congregation of people uh, who are ready and who desperately need Mm -hmm, the food. mm -hmm. And it's making it financially worth the while of the urban growers and farmers to come and pipeline into uh, the churches around this city. So Mm -hmm. the vision is to have an alternative food system that's networking churches and, and farmers all over the city that's economically viable for everybody, that makes mm-hmm. sense partnership-wise. Absolutely. And, uh, and we're going to continue to build it. So what literally is happening on this land? I mean, you, I, you mentioned, I saw pictures in the Huffington Post piece, and you mentioned a moment ago Daryl Hoophouses. So what exactly is happening on this land right now? What is the land? What's happening on it? Well, what's, what's happening, this relationship, we have recently hooked up with um, Pastor Brown and Daryl, and... Um, the land has, this has been a dream of ours for the past several years, but having the right partner, having the right chemistry is very, very important. Well, we have that now. And so we are about the, we have currently, we have two hoop houses that's on the land now, and that is being restored to the point that it's going to yield the crops and uh, the vegetables that we're looking for. And other hoop houses will be added to that. We're also looking at, um, at some point, adding aquaponics, which allows for farm-raising catfish, tilapia, those kinds of things mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. people eat. Um, but that's, that's, that's the purpose of the land. That's how we're going to use it. Um, I'm not ready to build a church now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so until we're ready to build a church, we're going to make this work. And the beauty of this is that this... Um, Let's say if we had the resources to build a church next month, what we're doing now is transferable to another place. We can transfer it, and that's the beauty of it, because the land itself is a concrete 
mm-hmm. slab. But you can use for hoop houses. That's, I mean, that's right. right, which we use. Right. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, it's, it's, it's about three acres. Three acres. Three acres. So you can put a lot of hoop houses on this land. <laughs> we can do that. We can do that. We can. We can, we, we can feed some folk. We can feed some folk. Yeah. 24-7, 365. Yeah, imagine that, you know, for your, your Baltimore area listeners, Mark, imagine at the intersection near North and Asquith <laughs> having aquaponics and hoop houses everywhere in the mm-hmm. middle of well, that part of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. It, it'll, it'll make you pull over and stop mm-hmm. your car. No, no, exactly. <laughs> one thing I was th- no, 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 exactly. And one, one thing I was thinking about when I, when I, I, first of all, I remember the conversations we've had of that in our, with Food and Faith and right. our good food gatherings, and I've heard you talk about this a lot, right. Heber Brown, on on uh, about this vision and idea, and and it's not crazy. One of, one of the things that different about what you all are talking about, but I love to explore in the next little bit of time together, is that even um, uh, in projects I've seen in other parts of the country in urban areas, uh, like well, how am I blocking his first name? Will Allen is that his name? Mm. The basketball player mm-hmm. uh, who not, who started the thing up in Milwaukee. Have that right? Oh that, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, originally from the Rockville area and moved out there to Milwaukee. Right, mm-hmm. growing yeah. power. Yeah, growing power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the things I said in my interview, I've interviewed him several times, and and it's the thing I ask all the time because it's the, to me it's the bottom line: is do the people in the community get to access the food? How do they get to access the food? Mm-hmm. If you're growing just for restaurants, right. how do we? Feed, how does that feed? people mm-hmm. and nobody's answering that but if something's happening in baltimore i'm thinking about what you all are doing mm-hmm. i'm thinking about what's happening in park heights mm-hmm. with their farm on the west side of town right um where they're actually growing food feeding the entire community creating a csa for, for working people can afford mm-hmm. and people learning how to do the land and cook i mean something's bubbling up here yeah something is happening yeah well one, one thing that is clear um, for me, in terms of just ministry, in terms of just serving people, it's very clear to me um, that what we're doing has to be at a level where people, whether with resources or not with, with resources, can still receive what is needed. That's, that's very important. Now, there's a screening process that's got to go along with that, of course, um, because we're all at different levels economically. But the whole idea is for us to be affordable, which is what Pastor Brown indicated. It's not Whole Foods prices or anything like that. <laughs> right. I mean, it's got to be affordable. <laughs> it's got to meet people where they are. And um, that's our whole mission, to meet people where they are. There may even be um, this talk of, of, of a process where if the community participates, that might be an opportunity for them to receive um, produce, you know, without having to go into their pockets because they're doing the work, you know, in terms of farming. That's, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. This whole concept is changing the whole makeup and complexion of the community. Where there was crime, where there was dope selling, where there was um, illegal activity, uh, people are coming along asking, inquiring about, you know, how can I be involved? How can I be a part of it? And that blesses everybody. That's a win-win. I know it blesses that part of, of this of East Baltimore that the police department doesn't have to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I got to tell you, I'm not making this up. Uh, I've seen the drug boys move to another corner or to another location because there's activity there and, and I, things going forward. And I think people don't realize some of these drug boys have more respect than people realize when these things happen. Absolutely. And we don't You're get right on that, that understanding as You're well. You're right on that. Mm-hmm. You're right on that. The voice you hear is Bishop J.L. Carter of the Ark Church of Baltimore. 
We're here also with the Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, pastor of Pleasant Hill Baptist Church and executive director of Orita Cross Freedom School, and the Reverend Daryl Harris, who's project officer with the Baltimore Food and Faith Project at the Hopkins Center for the Liberal Future. We'll be back to finish this conversation. And on our way to break, we're hearing Alice's Restaurant by Arlo Guthrie. He debuted this song on this day in 1967 at the Newport Folk Festival. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Soundbites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future right here on The Mark Steiner Show. Premier source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. That's Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. The band Cream was formed today in 1966. As we explore this Black Church Food Security Network happening in Baltimore that was featured in Huffington Post that we've talked about, not in the terms of the name, but the idea and the concept <clears throat> for a long time here, the last couple of years in the show, seeing things grow in this city. We're here with the Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, pastor of the Pleasant Hope Baptist Church, executive director of Orita's Cross Freedom School, the Reverend Daryl Harris, project officer at the Baltimore Food and Faith Project at the Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, where he's about to go get a Ph.D. as well in public health, which is amazing and wonderful, uh, and the Bishop J.L. Carter, who is from the Ark Church in Baltimore, where the initial farm of poop houses is being built on three acres uh, on Hartford, Ro- Hartford Road. Asquith. 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 Asquith, North Avenue. So, uh, you know, coming back to where we left off, we're talking about where we are going with this. Um, I wonder if we can just envision what this might mean in terms of the the, the power of what's what I said before we went to break of what's bubbling up from the bottom. One of the things I was thinking about was that uh, the Pope, Pope Francis, who has kind of astonished much of the world, mm-hmm. um, it's so much to the point where, uh, just a, a side story, Raul Castro stopped in Rome to visit the Pope in the Vatican, and they talked. And, and when he left, because uh, Raul Castro said, if Pope Francis keeps this up, I might have to go back to church. <laughs> 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 so well, one of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that the Pope, the Pope Francis said was that the change in his, in his kind of attack on the excesses of capitalism he said the change has to come from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the people making the change from the community and forcing it out. You can't, we can't wait any longer. That, that, and that's the dynamic happening here. Absolutely. So, right? right. Yeah, th- this is different from uh, a food charity program. You know, and I'm really thankful for the number of churches and organizations around the mm-hmm. city that are providing food in the more immediate sense to those who are in need. But this is slightly different. Because this is a, a swimming upstream a little bit, this is a systemic approach uh, to challenges faced by those in impoverished uh, communities, whereby those who are most directly affected are uh, lead participants or are leading the efforts uh, to make sure this thing really is sustainable for the local community. I mean, we talk about sustainability and viability. Well, you don't get much more viable than having people who live right in the neighborhood uh, to be partner and leader and leading voice and helping to shape what needs to happen in their neighborhood. Um, if, you know, and this is so important as well, because if uh, in the Black Church Food Security Network, if we are still hands-on, directly involved in every aspect of the, the process uh, years and years down the line, I've failed. It is not my intention and not the intention of the network 
to be so intricately and intricately intricately excuse me involved in the process that if we back out it dies we're there to help forge the partnerships to bring resources to marshal volunteers to attract financial financial support and then once that thing starts spinning on its own we move on to the next church and to continue to build and connect this network so that the people who are living in the neighborhoods are leading the charge in what they need for themselves I mean, do you? Um, it, it, go ahead. We're gonna say something, Jerry. I'm no, sorry. I said, I said that's right. Okay. So, <laughs> so, 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 I mean, do you think three of you think that this could? That, let me. How are we gonna put this right? That things like this and what's happening in Park Heights and happening in a couple of the neighborhoods in this town that actually change the nature of community and, and food in, this, in in the city of Baltimore Absolutely. could actually feed the people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I think I think it it, it comes alongside. Public policy, though, I think there's a recognition. It needs to be a recognition of that, um, because several a few years ago, hoop houses in Baltimore were illegal inside Baltimore City were illegal, but now we have um, public public policy that allows for hoop houses in Baltimore City. Um, recently, there was I, I'm not sure if it if it recently passed or it's on the docket for um, for there to be tax incentives for um, businesses that start that that start in food desert areas. Right. So then. So therefore. So. So. So with these with these public policies, we're able to take advantage of some of them and then come up with solutions that act that can actually work and that can have long term sustainability. It can feed a lot of people. Um, but it's it's both. You, you have to have the public policy and then you have to have the people who are translating that and saying, hey, to come up with come up with these big, bright ideas. Mm-hmm. And you have that people with energy to carry out the ideas. Yeah. And when you as you as you amass the resources, I mean, and Bishop spoke to this a little bit earlier in the interview, mm-hmm. that projects like this attract the neighborhood and neighbors there mm-hmm. to come alongside. And we were so blessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, last Saturday, we had our initial day of beginning to clear that land and grow. And uh, amazing turnout for a Saturday morning amazing. at 9 a.m. And mm-hmm. some were there before 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, to help out with the land. And this coming Saturday, That's right. we'll be back there again and inviting 9 support 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Come on and help continue this work mm-hmm. at 1840 Asquith Street mm-hmm. near North and Asquith. Uh, but the the uh, amazing thing about this is that the people are coming uh, to, to get it up and to build it, yes. Mm-hmm. But it, also the degree of organizing that's involved, I don't think people are as sensitive to that, right? Yeah. Go on the door-to-door. Uh, one of the things that I've not talked about yet was the men of my church, the deacons and some of the men of our church uh, located near York and Belvedere. We actually go down to Bishop Carter's church. <laughs> we go to another community yeah. and walk the streets of their neighborhood yeah. from 8 p.m. to 1030 at night, yeah. promoting his church, hmm. promoting his midweek services, and promoting this uh, this operation with the farm. Right. And. That degree of commitment. So kudos to the men of Pleasant Hope and Absolutely. the deacons of Pleasant Hope, yeah. because that degree of commitment to be organizing Absolutely. on the front stoops of somebody else's, else's neighborhood right. at that hour of the night Absolutely. shows how committed we are, Absolutely. Uh, but also wow. shows the degree of yeah. organizing. And so imagine with the policy piece uh, that is necessary for this. Imagine also that you have organized a community mm-hmm. around some central goals and agenda items, mm-hmm. and then you bring this organized community Absolutely. with organized money, organized people, organized resources, and you bring that to the conversation with policymakers. I think the policymakers will hear us with a totally different ear after we've been organized economically and otherwise. And i got to say this. That's a new paradigm right. shift. 
you that's that's unheard of for another pastor and his congregation to come into another different community to support and work with another church. I mean that that kind of unity just simply does not exist. Mm-hmm. And and I tell you, uh, uh, Pastor Brown is going to continue to yield tremendous benefits and rewards from that because we believe in our in our faith commitment. What you make happen for someone else, God will make happen for you. And he's and he's acting on that and that's just a tremendous blessing. But to answer your question, yes. it will <laughs> it will translate and transform how we do food in our city. Um, and again, you know, I, I can't help it, but it goes back to where we were originally. We were we were never dependent upon supermarkets, processed food. Um, food that was just loaded with preservatives that is killing us yes. each and every yes. day. That's yes. the other benefit that we're looking at that's going to really um, catch the excitement of persons because Pastor, Pastor Brown is, is correct. I visited a lady in the hospital just last night, and she's there directly because of eating improper foods. But there's no other outlets that she can go to to get the fresh food that is needed. So it will transform as we continue to pick up momentum and move ahead. And I just realized that because often when I leave the studios here at Morgan State University, and if I head downtown, I'll go down Hartford Road and make a left on Asquith to get downtown. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's one of the ways you I go, pass right? It. It's a main so thoroughfare. You're, the, you're talking about right there on the corner? Okay, which way do you go? If you make a left on Asquith off North Avenue? That's you, right. You're going, going yes. to. So that's right. Yes. That's right. That's it. That's, that's, it. that's where y'all are. That's where yes, we are. That's it. Oh, I that's thought lot. that was somebody's private farm, but no. <laughs> yeah, that's us. Yeah, our church private farm. That's right. Now, now the grass was a little tall. It's down now. <laughs> it may have looked like a jungle. <laughs> I'm not proud of that, but we've but, but we've got okay. that fixed, and we're addressing that. Okay. And it's going to be a real showpiece. I mean, it's and you're right. Most persons on the east side who have to work downtown. Have to pass out property exactly. Every well, we because well, you make every the left day. to get down. That's right. Every That's day. right. Every day. Yeah. yeah. So, in, in thinking about this more, I was thinking about a bunch of things. I don't want to take too much more uh, your time, our listeners here, but this is a really important discussion. Um, there's a man that comes to the show a lot. His name is Michael Twitty. And Michael Twitty is a world-renowned expert on food and culinary things and farming and the history of farming, and writes a blog called Afro Culinaria. Um, one of the things he told me was, this is really interesting to me, look at where you all are taking this and what history is. His research showed that in the late 1800s, in the early 1900s, the food-selling business was controlled in large part, not completely, but by African Americans in the city. And that, and that, that is part of the history that gets lost. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a rebirth of... The food system was controlled largely by African Americans. This direct selling, where in I mean, East Baltimore, South here Baltimore, in Baltimore. Yeah. Well, well, it was in the, what year? In the early 1900s. Wow. Yeah, because the Arabs were around. I was going to say. Well, the Arabs were all, A-Rabbers. and that was a tradition right. that yeah, is right. is really unique to that, the city. That's how we got. Yeah. That's how it got to the communities. Yeah. That's how it got to the, the Arabs, as you know. So, so, what, the city so when you talk we about the, the future of this, and I'm thinking about where we have now corner stores that. And the bait we're in the middle of now is what to do with these corner stores. You know, they're selling the liquor store, a lot, lot of liquor stores and selling unhealthy food. What role they might pay, play in a positive role in the future, if any. And the role that Arabbers and that whole culture can play in a new foods, food distribution system um, in the city. 
I mean, because that was because when I was a kid, and maybe I'm crazy, but I, I remember this. You didn't grow up in Baltimore, did you, Bishop? I did. You did. Okay. I'm you right up. there with you. Okay. So <laughs> when when I and I, when I was young in the city, um, in in the black community, there were there really weren't food deserts. No. Right. People had food all the time, and mm-hmm. part of the reason people had food was because of the Arabers went everywhere mm-hmm. selling vegetables and fruit mm-hmm. to people on the corner, and we had these markets where people went to that were city markets and people could go buy fresh food. And, and so the, the food, people didn't hunger for food. They hungered for many things, but food yeah. wasn't one of them. Right? And, and they supplemented <laughs> so, that. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I'm talking about when we talk about what came before and what to, mm-hmm. how to create something for the 21st century. So what is the model, model maybe that uses some of that energy and ideas from the past? And to add more to what you just mm-hmm. said, um, in those days people still had a small garden in the backyard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because people were just coming up That's from right. the South, so everybody had a garden. Yeah. 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 My parents had a small garden. Right. I mean, we had tomatoes, we had watermelons, you know, right there in the city. Wasn't a huge lot, but it, right. it, it fed exactly. the family. And, yeah, I, um, and that's the transformation that we have to get back to. And I see that happening. I see that being the vision of what mm-hmm. we're doing here. We're trying to re-educate this current generation into understanding you don't have to be dependent upon the supermarket. Even mm-hmm. myself, where I live, I have a small garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, even right now, I got to do some work to it. It's <laughs> waiting for me to pick, you know, pick the tomatoes there. They're rottening, but nevertheless, you know, I have that even now. Mm. So I, I see. Yeah. I think you wanted to say something. Yes, I also, well, I mean, one of the one of the um, struggles that we currently work through now in a lot of food desert areas are that there are congregations and there are neighborhood groups that are that want to sell food to within their neighborhood. But um, they're having a hard time sourcing it. Um, some of the neighborhood gardens, um, you know, they, they have the CSAs and they are selling um, food to uh, restaurants and so forth. Or the food is already allocated in one, 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 one form or another, the food is allocated. So I'm hoping that um, once North and Asquith is, becomes functional and it becomes a, a space there, we're growing, we're using both of those hoop houses or we're adding hoop mm-hmm. houses to those, mm-hmm. and all that food is, is, is being grown that some of the food that's being grown there can be shifted to other neighborhoods throughout Baltimore City that have similar struggles that, um, where they can eat some of that food that's being grown at, on, on, the, on the property of Ark Church. And perhaps you could have, mm-hmm. perhaps, perhaps you could have um, A-Rabbers mm-hmm. transporting that Absolutely. food. Yeah. You could have... Um, 21st century. Updating it. I mean, supporting yeah, it. it. And I think one of the things, too, in terms of the big picture with the Black Church Food Security yeah. Network is the connect the churches, particularly yeah. the black churches that are already growing food, right? Yeah. We have a number of black churches in the city yeah. that are growing. <clears throat> Um, but we're not strategically growing, right? right? And so at Pleasant Hope, we grow what we want to grow. And uh, like I said, four to 500 pounds of produce, and our members are blessed, and I'm blessed by the string beans and everything else that we get. Mm -hmm. But what if Pleasant Hope was responsible in some strategic plan Mm -hmm. to grow tomatoes, and that was ours? Uh And then the church down the street is growing collards or kale, and that's their response. And then once it's grown, Mm -hmm. we share the harvest around the church community using either the A-rabbers and even our church buses Mm -hmm. uh, to move the food around. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is – I'm excited by that. But strategically growing is where I think we also have to go for those pastors or churches that are growing now. Let's link together and get a big picture on the map of what 
you know, what can I grow? And maybe what I grow is based on the amount of sunlight we get, is based on the irrigation possibilities where we are. Right. I mean, just that degree of technical uh, organizing, I think, could really move things forward. You're talking about bottom-up organizing, Mark. Mm-hmm. That, if that really takes root, and I'm giving everything I got to ensure, as sure. by God's grace that it does, mm-hmm. Baltimore could really set a model for the nation in terms of how to address Absolutely. these issues. And I'm thinking Absolutely. from Absolutely. that, the next piece would be um, really being strategic yeah. about the distribution centers, mm-hmm. where they would be, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, uh, to follow it all the way to the end. And the, dis- and the distribution centers would probably be determined by the greatest food desert needs, mm-hmm. and we go in that direction. Yeah. But I agree with you on mm-hmm. that. I'm going to undermine the capitalist system from the bottom up. <laughs> <laughs> but think about this, too, Mark, from the beginning to the end. Well, well, we did say it's a win-win situation. No, 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 we did no, no, say no. That. no. I, I was... I'm sorry. In thinking about what you all are talking about, there was um, been on this program before numerous times. I don't know if you've met them. Maybe you all know them as Warren and Lavette Blue. You know the Blues? The Blues, yeah. Yeah. The Blues live not far here from Morgan State University, and they've created this incredible organic farm out of the backyard, their backyards and their neighbors' backyards. They've made this huge farm, and they feed people in that Mm -hmm. community and grow amazing food and are great farming teachers. Because they know it. They know the land and they right. know how to do it. He's a Vietnam veteran. They're both retired and, and, and they're dedicated to this. And one of their ideas is, that, and I can see how, I'm just curious what you think about this and where it might fit into the Black Church, uh, the Black Church Food Security Network, is starting um, a young farmers group among young people in Baltimore, uh, like Future Farmers, Absolutely. 4-H, but yeah. Urban 4-H, yeah. as a way of kind of building something in this city yeah when we that's that's great because these two people are, are kind of the el- are the elders of the movement you're talking about yeah. living in our own community yeah, absolutely right. when we before before coming into relationship with with pastor brown um the people we had before didn't quite succeed like we needed it but we did and we still have it even right now we've got a relationship with cecil elementary school which is just one block away, oh, yeah, and also right, Harford right. Heights, yeah. which is one block away. And the kids came and participated in setting up that those two hoop farms that are there now, the kids uh-huh. helped to participate in that and grew a little something. Um, but I think that's for it to outlive yeah. all of us. We've got to make sure that happens yeah. in terms right. of getting to the kids. That, be a pipeline. Knowledge. I mean, I it's think you know that. That, that pipeline of the rising generation of, of farmers mm-hmm. – um, and I think more and more people are recognizing just the importance and significance of owning land and knowing how to work the land. Um, but having that pipeline to jobs and education mm-hmm. is just super important. And so, again, you know, it's not just about summer squash. Uh, it's about really community development and community redevelopment um, that is, is birthed from the needs of those in these communities. And so, yes, even here at Morgan State, you know, I'm thinking there's somebody might be listening, a student or something, and they have no, they don't have a major that's associated with agriculture, right? Maybe they're marketing or maybe they're whatever. We will need, if we're creating an alternative food system, you need people at every piece and part of the pipeline, everything from marketing to organizational psychology, you know, right on down the line, you're going to need all of that in place. And so I'd love I, I pray to see today, and if I don't, I pray my children live to see today, where we create a jobs program springing yeah. from this, yeah. right, where young people can go to school in Baltimore and see this avenue or things like this as a viable career opportunity. 
that will support their families and, and also support their broader community too. Yeah, I don't think that's outrageous to even, to even conceive of. I, I was thinking about when we were we did our our last good food gathering was at Elder Harris's church in Sandtown. That's right, right. Mm. And and they're also working on mm-hmm. a hoop, hoop houses in. Mm. Santa, yeah, sixteen of them. It's got sixteen, quite a few, sixteen, right? Quite sixteen, a few. right? Yeah. And so, and that's how. And one of the people in the audience said, "This is really interesting." And that we wouldn't didn't identify the person. Well, not identify the person because we don't want that person to be run out of the business that they do out of their basement. But, right? <laughs> 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 but someone in the community raises has a fish farm in the basement of their home, raising tilapia. Mm-hmm. They sell to the community, mm-hmm. right? That works. And it's not so. I mean. The, the idea that you could also raise, as you were mentioning earlier, Bishop, mm-hmm. you, you can raise fish. Mm-hmm. And Baltimore, you legally can raise chickens. Yes, you can. You can't have roosters right. anymore, but you can have you can chickens. You can have hens. Right. Didn't know that. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's possibilities for all kinds of growth. So they, it, expands. Chick, it expands. You know, because chicken, I, I mean, it. people love chicken. Everybody loves chicken. Sure. Yeah. And they, they get away from the chicken boxes and into really fresh chicken. And healthy chicken. And healthy chicken. And healthy right. chicken. Right. Could actually happen in the city. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's and it's happening in some pockets of the city now. Right, with chickens. Um, you said something earlier, Mark, that I want to touch on. You said that um, if, if this you alluded that if this was done right, it would undermine capitalism. I did say that, yes. But I, I, I think um, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, it's important uh-huh. to note that with the with the supermarket system the way it is and capitalism the way it has been, it's, it it has undermined it neighborhoods. Right. So you Absolutely. have no question. You know mm-hmm. Heber's right Heber's area, and you have. Um, Bishop Carr's area where they don't they, they may not necessarily interact, and then now it takes a a, a special effort, a unique effort, um, for for the people of Hebrew Church to really interact with the people of Bishop Carr's church, uh, Bishop Carter's church. So, I say all that to say that neighborhoods have been undermined by 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 our conventional agriculture and conventional uh, supermarket systems. But with this, hopefully. People are going to get to know the people who are growing their food. They're going to know the people who are distributing their food. They're going to know the people who are behind the scenes and um, making decisions about their food it's in such a way that it also strengthens communities. Um, no, I think that's right. I mean, that's part of, I know that's part of your whole raison d'etre, part of your whole philosophy of yeah. empowerment and mm-hmm. independence, Yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, having, having that degree of uh, self-help, uh, self-determination is extremely important. I think a part of why Baltimore looks the way it does today is because we've been so reliant on the benevolence of whether it be foundations or nonprofits or so at the mercy of whoever's in elected office this season that you know we're waiting for others to give us an agenda, to give us a direction, to tell us what monies will be available. This uh, rethinks all of that and says that you know, now going forward, when those conversations happen, we can sit down uh, and negotiate from a position of strength on what needs to happen in our communities mm-hmm. and have the right to push away from the table and say, well, no, that deal don't work for us. God bless you all. Take care. We're going to go do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that, that's, I, you know what? I love playing spades, Mark. And when I play spades, if I got a hand with a whole lot of trump cards in it, uh, you know, you can play the hand you're dealt and, and really come out on top at the end. Mm-hmm. We've been living with a poor hand for too long, and yeah. this helps to give us a stronger yeah. hand. Yeah. No, and I think this is, I mean, you know, when I read the article, I, mean, I, always, I knew the work that all of you have been engaged in at, at different levels here. Yeah. And when I saw the article, um, and, uh, it, 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 was, it, was, it was a beautiful thing for me to 
witnesses happening given the things we've convened in our good food gatherings and given everything you've been saying, Reverend Heber Brown, all this time I've known you, mm-hmm. about building this building this kind of network for food and using the churches as the economic base. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is a very powerful thing. I mean, because the, the volunteerism, the participation, the community builds something very positive mm-hmm. despite the kind of economic deprivation and racism and other stuff that happens mm-hmm. in communities. This is building something that changes something Absolutely. from within out, mm-hmm. which is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And kudos to you. Thank you, Mark. You've been a wonderful conversation yeah. partner uh, <laughs> and, and fellow dreamer to all of this. And so really, even with the Huffington Post article, you know, while I think it's Aaliyah in my picture that's in the article. Yes. Really, you'd have to take a big picture of Baltimore because so many people have been a part of these conversations, mm-hmm. some through, you know, your show and others in other places. But this is really not the brainchild of Heber Brown. This no, is something right, right. that Baltimore has given birth to. Uh, in different ways, and I'm just again thankful. Uh, um, Aaliyah Frazier and Blaine and Darielle, Blaine Snipsall, right? Blaine Snipsall, right? Uh, um, you know, this is there's a dynamic, as you said, it's a dynamic, uh, a bubbling up that's happening all over the city, and uh, I'm thankful that you know the Black Church Food Security Network, Ark Church, Black Dirt Farm, was able to help share with the nation a little bit through Huffington Post Amen. what's going on. That's right. Well, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate the time you've taken here today with this, this program sure. and spending so much time with us. This is a very powerful moment, though. I think it's important for people to get it understanding in depth. You just heard the Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, pastor of the Pleasant Hope Baptist Church, executive director of our Reaches Cross Freedom School, also joined by the Bishop J.L. Carter of the Ark Church of Baltimore, where this farm for the a Black Church Food Security Network is beginning at Asquith and North, and the Reverend Dariel Harris. In a few years, to be the Reverend Dr. Daryl Harris, Project Officer, Baltimore Food and Faith Project at Hopkins Center for Liberal Future. Thanks to the three of you so much for the work you do for our community and for joining us here today on Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are a production of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our producers are Mark Gunnery and Stephanie Mavronis. Our engineer at WEAA is Andre Melton. Our engineer at Public Radio Delmarva is Christopher Rank. To hear this show again, podcast any of our past shows, and find out information from the interviews we are doing on this program, please visit us on the web at steinershow.org. You can also listen to and download our podcasts on iTunes. For Public Radio, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and for WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.